Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, you know, we've talked a lot about Dembisa Moyo over the years. She's one of the more interesting characters in the China-Africa discussion. And for those of you not familiar with Dembisa Moyo, she is, um, I'll even call her controversial, provocative, certainly. Uh, she's originally from Zambia. She worked for, I think, the World Bank and then uh, also at Goldman Sachs. So she comes from the kind of the world of high finance. Uh, she's also a very noted author. And she came onto the scene um, writing three books that related to critiques of the West's engagement in Africa. They were dead aid, how the West was lost, and winner takes all China's race for resources. And what she's really done better than I think almost any uh, Chinese spokesperson's ever done is she's made the case for why China is a better fit oftentimes uh, for not only in Africa, but for emerging economies. But now we're going to talk today about that she seems to have changed her tune a little bit here. Uh, she came out with an essay on uh, September 19th of this year uh, in the Wall Street Journal for poor countries. China is no model. State-centered growth may seem like an answer to popular unrest, but the long-term costs are high. So it appears that she has maybe adjusted, shift, evolved her thinking on China and its fit and fitness for the emerging world. But before, Cobus, we get started into our discussion on the Wall Street Journal article, I'd like to kind of roll back the tape a little bit to uh, November 11th, 2013, when she did a, a very well-publicized TED Talk, Is China the New Idol for Emerging Economies? And she lays out her case of why she thinks China is a better fit or more appropriate fit for the developing world. The fact of the matter is that this has become a very poignant question because there's, for the first time in a long time, a real challenge to the Western ideological systems of politics and economics. And this is a system that is embodied by China. And rather than have private capitalism, they have state capitalism. Instead of liberal democracy, they have deprioritized the democratic system. And they have also decided to prioritize economic rights over political rights. I put it to you today that it is this system that is embodied by China that is gathering momentum amongst people in the emerging markets as the system to follow. Because they believe increasingly that it is the system that will promise the best and fastest improvements in living standards in the shortest period of time. Okay, Kobus, there we have it from 2013. And basically she says, and this is the case that she's made, and it's a case that I've made for a very long time, that civil and political rights oftentimes are a luxury if you don't have food in your stomach, a roof over your, sh your head, and, uh, and, and, and economic stability. Um, this is the case the Chinese make. It's a case that a lot of emerging markets and emerging company, uh, co uh, countries make as well. But now she's changed her tune. What, what did you think when you saw uh, this, this, this article? Were you as surprised as I was that uh, Moyo seems to have evolved in her thinking? Um, I don't think I was maybe as surprised. The um, my feeling is that she's making a distinction between two different two different things. Whether China is a good client and therefore development partner for Africa is on the one side. And I think you know, kind of through her books, she she seems to say so she seems to say yes. Um, and but the other issue is whether the, whether the China model of economic development is a good fit for for Africa and the, and the developing world. And there, I think the the, the new Wall Street article really takes that on and actually, you know, comes down on the negative side. Is, is that how you understood the, yeah. the kind of distinction between arguments? That is, and, and you're right.
right, there are two distinct uh, ideas here. There is a, a political economic model that she's talking about. Uh, and then there is, you know, the fitness of, say, the United States, the European, the, and those as trading partners and whatnot. So we can kind of separate those two. Let's take a look at what, what the alarm bells that she's sounding off and what she says. And this is, again, something uh, I'm not criticizing her. And I really want to make a point here that, you know, she may have changed and she may not have. But um, if she did, in fact, change, that's perfectly OK, because the situations change. But she said that basically the, the, the developing world, um, it, it, they're the way they've been doing things over the past few years has been successful if they have at least 7% of growth per year. Now what we're seeing in many of the BRIC countries and, and in, 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 the, in the global south is they're, they're falling down below 7%. And that's creating low growth and the combination with stubborn poverty, stagnant wages, and intractable unemployment all now make a very critical situation in the developing south. So all of the talk we've seen about rising Africa uh, that may actually run into a problem. And, and again, let's take into account what's happening in West Africa with Ebola, which is derailing some of the economic progress they've made there. And this is why she's concerned. What are your thoughts? I, I think well, one of the points that she made, which really resonated with me, was that China's development really only makes sense within a Western-driven system. Or to put it in a different way, that um, that the only way that China managed to grow that that as, as spectacularly as it did was because they had rich Western people to sell stuff to and rich Western people to, do, to, to produce stuff for. Um, and now that the Western economies are so weak, um, you know, kind of that, that system doesn't really make sense for, to, you know, for, for other countries. Um, I think what she's leaving out is that China itself is, you know, kind of trying to move itself over to, uh, to a more cons consumer-based system uh, where they're not only exporting, but where they're also, you know, kind of developing uh, domestic, um, you know, kind of consumption markets. And I think in that sense, you know, th that that process might make sense for Africa, maybe. But I think, you know, kind of the it, it doesn't for Africa, it wouldn't make sense without the rest of the China system, which is lifting all of these, you know, kind of millions of people out of poverty. You know, you, the people need to have money to spend before you can sell stuff to them. Um, and, you know, kind of so, so in that sense, I do tend to you know, her, some of her concerns resonate with me. They do resonate. Uh, and, and again, let's kind of talk about the contrast that you pointed out. And another kind of key point that she makes, and, and when you said sell stuff, it's a very particular type of stuff. And what the, the Chinese are selling to the West are actual physical products that are manufactured and that are produced in factories and whatnot and go into Carrefour, Tesco, Walmart and whatnot. And what she points out is that in the developing South, particularly in Africa, is those are agricultural exports or commodities oftentimes dominate their, their export ledgers. And those are the very same products that domestic powerful domestic constituencies in Japan, the European Union, and the United States uh, put up high walls and barriers to. Think of sugarcane, sugar, uh, corn, all of these agricultural products that make it very difficult for, for, for African countries to export out. So she makes that contrast. And that's where I thought that there had been a really big change because, you know what, between 2013 when she did her TED Talk and today when she wrote her uh, Wall Street Journal article, that fundamentally hadn't changed. So I'm just kind of curious why... That part of her discussion didn't emerge earlier in her thinking and some of her cheerleading for the Chinese, um, because that's always been the case, that, the, that African economies have been exporting commodities, not finished goods, uh, and those are susceptible to, to, to being blocked by the West. So, again, this is, this is an interesting evolution of her thinking. 
I think so. I think the the the, the newer article, the Wall Street Journal article, also to, you know has a bit of a different focus in the sense that she's really attacking state centered planning, state centered planning. I mean, um, you know, and and the idea that the state needs to get involved in the economy, and she's she's making the point that this that this idea is becoming uh, more popular in the developing world, which whether it, it really objectively is, I'm not sure. You know, kind of, I, I don't have enough knowledge to really be able to say. But, um, but you know, yeah, you know, kind of. So, so she kind of sets up the the role of the state in um, in in economic planning as, as a bit of a as as a target. And in that sense, you know, kind of the fact that Chinese growth is slowing, um, you know, kind of it, it seems to be a good time to make that point. Um, on the other hand, you know, kind of it's. Um, Sorry, I've lost my train of no, thought. No, no, it's no Sorry. problem. But let's let's continue yeah. the 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 thread of the state capitalism idea here. So she uses as the example that seven of the ten largest uh, oil companies are are state owned. Uh, many of those, in fact, are are Chinese, and that's been a trend that we're seeing in in Africa as well as the nationalization of some of the the core industries. And she makes the case that it gives a short term pop. Uh, in terms of of growth and also in terms of productivity, but innovation ultimately lags in state-owned companies. The Economist, for many years, has has, has criticized the state capitalism model, uh, and we're seeing this not only, of course, in Africa or in China, but this is Qatar, this is the Middle East, uh, you know, this is big parts of Asia as well. Uh, where I am in Vietnam, the state plays a very high role in the economy. Certainly, the French. Uh, 56% of the entire French economy is, is controlled or owned by the state. So this is, again, not a, a unique you know, situation to China or Africa. It's a global phenomenon. Uh, but one of the things that suffers in these state-owned companies is the long-term innovation. And ultimately, that drives down productivity, it drives down profits, and makes these less appealing as drivers of economic growth. So I think that's one of her criticisms that she brought out, which I think is a fair criticism, but it's so tempting for some of the uh, authoritarian dictators, uh, you know, who particularly we've talked about in places like Ethiopia, uh, Mugabe in, in Zimbabwe, uh, Paul Kagame in Rwanda, who are less than democratic, and they love that economic control that comes with state capitalism. Yes, and I think that that's a point that she also she makes implicitly is that uh, you know kind of state central planning only works if the state has a vision. Um, you know, if if they have a real idea of where they want to go and what they want to achieve and how to do it. So in that sense, you know, the the, the contrast between someone like Mugabe, who to my mind has no vision um, or has very little vision, um, and someone like Kagame, who does seem to have more of an idea, kind of a blueprint of where he wants Rwanda to go, even if that's not a particularly democratic blueprint um you know is is interesting you know kind of you it it is so much depends on human capital you know kind of once the state has that much power um and as and you know kind of as she also makes the point is that um these kind of economies then tend to distort pricing for different commodities so because the state makes the price and because the state is so central to to running the economy and planning the economy things start taking on different values um you know and the, the market the market stalls um, I think one one thing to keep in mind about Moyo is that I think she is, for all her her um, you know support of China through the years, I think she she really is. Uh, she's interested in liberal democracy. 
Um, you know, th that's the way that she describes herself, that she's a supporter of liberal democracy. Um, and, you know, kind of, and, and, and that I think is an interesting, she's an interesting thinker in that sense. You know, on the one hand, super embedded in, in American capitalism and, you know, and, and also liberal democracy. And on the other hand, you know, kind of looking at, at this role that China can play in Africa, it's, it's an interesting position to be in. Well, she concludes her article by saying, and let me quote here, it should worry us all that in the face of growing popular unrest, many leaders in emerging markets are turning to authoritarian state-centric models. Whatever the short-term political appeal of such policies, they are likely, in the long run, to exacerbate social turmoil and create a vicious cycle for both emerging markets and the world as a whole. So she's leaving this on a very kind of somber note. And and I, and I took that in some ways, too, is that is one of the themes of 2014 that you and I have certainly picked up on is a, a more bearish outlook uh, from analysts and academics and observers about the Chinese in Africa. And I'm just wondering if we can now put, you know, Dembi Samoyo on the growing list of people who are becoming increasingly skeptical of the Chinese. Um, that might be going too far. It's certainly reading beyond what she wrote in her, uh, in this essay in the Wall Street Journal. But it's, it, it, you know, that's a pretty grim conclusion there. Yeah, yeah. No, it it wasn't a very, <laughs> you know, very happy article to read. Actually, it was, <laughs> you know, there is a, is a little bit of a doomsday feeling there. <laughs> there is, but and that might come from also that Xi Jinping, you know, has taken a much tougher tougher line in China. Um, you know, he's 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 you know, he, the crackdowns that he's doing, uh, you know, across the board. Uh, this is a tough. He's 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 implementing a very very much harsher, more aggressive China policy that. Uh, that this might be a reaction to. And uh, we're talking about more aggression. Aggression's the wrong word. Um, a more forceful uh, policy in the South China Sea, uh, more forceful against the United States, uh, engaging uh, fellow state capitalists like uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia. And, and I'm wondering, as you said, she's, she's very much a figure or a, a fixture of, of liberal capitalism. And this might also, I wonder, be a reaction to, to the Xi administration. Just it's a thought. It might be a long stretch there. Um, we would like to, we would have loved to, and, and if anybody who knows Dembi Samoyo, um, if her publicist or somebody else is listening, uh, we'd love to have her on the show. The last time we reached out to her, uh, she referred us to our publicist, and her publicist told us uh, in no uncertain terms, she doesn't do podcasts, Cobus. So the, the 100,000 people that are listening to our podcast every month are, are apparently insufficient. Uh, she will do CNN, which I think is very interesting. And what's laughable about CNN is that I think at times our audience is actually larger than CNN's. So, you know, and, and she's done, uh, you know, some of these other news networks. So I think there's a little bit of uh, snobbery going in there that our brand is not big enough for Dembisa Moyo. But if anybody knows Dembisa, we would love to have her on the show to talk about this because it's a fascinating uh, perspective that she brings to it. Uh, Kobus, give me your final thoughts on this. Um, I think it's, you know, kind of it, it might reflect a necessary cooling down of, of, of everyone's kind of hysteria about, about Chinese growth. I mean, that, that's been coming for a while. Um, I think the, the, the price of Chinese growth um, and therefore the price of the Chinese development model is, is becoming very clear. I mean, the environmental one particularly. Um, so, you know, it might be a, a pendulum swinging a bit more in the other direction before, you know, before it reaches an equilibrium. Um, you know, so so the the, the very the very kind of dark view that she takes now needs to be needs to be balanced against the pretty optimistic one she took before. You know, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of where she goes next. 
So the article, the essay, For Poor Countries, China is No Model, is in the September 19th edition of the Wall Street Journal. It's actually one of their free articles. We've posted it up on our uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. So if you can't find it, uh, just by looking for Dembisa Moyo, uh, go ahead and onto our Facebook page. Uh, just scroll down for the past few days and you'll, you'll see it there. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, send us either a note, send us a tweet, send us a, a post on Facebook. Tell us what your thinking is on Dembisa Moyo. She's a very, very polarizing figure. You know, a lot of people in Africa don't really feel that she's that African, uh, which I always feel is kind of weird. Uh, But at the same time, a lot of people in the West, they don't necessarily like the fact that she has spoken up so vociferously for the Chinese. Uh, So she is one of these people who I I have a lot of respect for because she's a very, very contrarian oftentimes in her thinking. And here she is uh, kind of going against the grain yet again. So Kobus, if people want to yell and shout and disagree with you, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Um, I'm on our Facebook page that's facebook.com slash China Africa Project and I'm also on Twitter Okay, just in case you didn't get that because Kobus is dropping out a little bit uh, that's Stadenesk S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E uh, that's where you can find him on Twitter you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day uh, and of course if you want to follow this podcast the best way to do it just do a little search over on iTunes at uh, China Africa Project you can look us up there and also uh, check out us uh, on the China File website of the Asia Society's excellent China related website uh, where, where all of our podcasts are being posted up there and that's a great way to listen to us as well. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening.